Filmmakers make films, but films make filmmakers. From blockbuster premieres to grindhouse theaters, late night cable to the local video store, there is no greater classroom for aspiring filmmakers than cinema itself. Join your host, Eric Skorzynski, as he dives deep into the minds of legendary directors, producers, actors, and more to discover their biggest influences and to explore the impact their films are leaving behind. This is Film School. Grab your popcorn. Class is about to begin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Film School podcast. Today's episode is with actor, writer, singer, and host Sarah she was born in Philadelphia and is currently based in New York City. She made her Broadway debut in Les Miserables in high school and graduated from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts with a double major in theater and journalism. She's the former host of HQ Trivia, and she's also hosted for Amazon, Walmart, Bolero, Little Things, Business Insider, Indie Zone, and The Ellen Show. TV highlights include Bravo's Dirty John, CW's Two Sentence Horror Stories, USA's The Purge, CBS's The Bold and the Beautiful, True TV's Hack My Life, and her recent feature films include Clinton Road, Inside Game, and Cicada. Sarah also creates her own content, including comedic sketches for Betches and College Humor. You can see more of her self-produced work on Instagram or on TikTok, where she has an immense following there. She's also writing and developing two original TV series. Sarah is an amazing working actress. She shares the ups and downs so honestly and transparently on social media, and I just knew I had to get her on the show. Here's my interview with Sarah Priebus. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thanks for having me. I've been following you on TikTok for a little while now and watching the chaotic behind the scenes of being a working actor. Um, And uh, before we dive into all of that, I want to go before you started on this crazy journey. Like, What's the first time you remember really connecting with a film or a television show? And you had that little spark of like, this is amazing. Like, I want something to do with this. Yeah. So it actually wasn't a film or television show. Hmm. It was seeing Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. Okay. Um, My parents took me to see that and the energy in the theater. um, I was like weeping as like (laughs) 10 year old. And I knew that I needed to be involved in that in some capacity. It seems like for a lot of people, there's that thing that hits very early on, whether we're talking entertainment or sports or whatever it is, there's always that like, Oh, I was 10 years old and this happened, or I was six years old and this happened. And then you fast forward a little bit and like all through high school, there becomes this debate of like, okay, I really like this. And then the parents say, that's nice. Here's your law school or here's medical school or the flip side. And here's all the things you need to try to pursue this. We'll try to support you. Like what side did you find yourself on? Did you have support and encouragement to pursue this? Or was it kind of like a, that's really nice. What are you actually going to do? So I actually didn't know I was going to pursue it full time as a career Mm -hmm. until I was a junior in high school. And even then I had my doubts. Um, I was sort of always active in music type stuff. Like I started with violin that went into flute that went into doing like local theater and then begging my parents for voice lessons. Um, And of course, you know, I had that experience that I mentioned, but I didn't necessarily think to myself that it was even an option to do that full time. Um, and, And I would say that the defining moment happened when I was a junior in high school because that was when my high school got the rights to do Les Miserables. Um, Les Miserables had 
been going, was going off Broadway for the first time after its very, very long run. And high schools were then able to do that as their show. And so my high school did it. There were scouts in our audience, which we didn't know at the time, but they were looking for what they were going to cast as the future of Les Mis. So they were doing this very special performance where they were doing the original cast on the final night of Les Mis. The original cast was going to perform the current cast and then the future cast of Les Mis. Mm. And I was scouted for my high school production. I went to New York back and forth to audition for a couple weekends in a row. My dad drove me up, was very supportive there to answer your question and uh, ended up getting cast and performed on that stage the final closing night of Les Mis. And that getting cast in that was the thing that actually made me pause for a moment because I was a very academic Mm. kid. I was valedictorian in my high school. I always thought that I was just going to go on scholarship somewhere related to um, I didn't quite know what I was going to do, but I, I was a good student. Yeah. And that was the thing sort of that happened where I, I just stopped for a moment and I was like, wait, am I actually like capable of doing this as a career? And I really went back and forth. I, I it was, it was a very difficult decision. And my mm. English teacher um, at the time was the one that said, you got to do it. Like mm. uh, you, you have to do it. And my parents were, I've talked to them about this since, were scared. They were scared, Mm -hmm. but they were supportive. Um, My dad was, uh, he was an actuary. He is an actuary. I mean, he's retired now. Both of my parents are, but my dad is an actuary, which is a a math job, essentially. Mm -hmm. He plans retirements for companies, but he played five instruments. He's always had Mm. a hand in music, played in the community, in the orchestra, sang in the choirs. And his dad made him go to school for math because he didn't believe in an artistic career and therefore was supportive of me. My mother was an art teacher. So she also had an artistic side, um, always sort of like painted and did commissioned work on the side. And so both of them understood they had compassion um, for me. But of course, as parents, they were scared because it's a very difficult career path. Right, right. Um, Tell me a little bit about the feeling of, I mean, performing in high school is a great experience. And there's, you know, I mean, people, a lot of people start in that realm, but getting cast into a, I mean, a quote unquote serious production and like getting to go perform on a stage in front of an actual audience, like, tell me the feeling of that, because that's really the moment where you're going to get up on stage and go, Oh my God, I'm never doing this again. Or you're going to fall in love with it. Like, what did you feel stepping onto that stage? And it was insane. I mean, it's um, that umami feeling, right. That you get from food, but like Mm -hmm. in person, Mm -hmm. Um, I remember looking out into the audience and just, I saw faces that I recognized, which is crazy because this was a big event. So um, I remember like, I think Rosie O'Donnell was there. Like there were like, (laughs) that's not the name I expected when he said my performance (laughs) of Les Miserables. But there were people there that I, I recognized. I mean, aside from that, I mean, there's just the expansiveness of a Mm -hmm. Broadway theater. Um, And then it's just, it's a lot of nerves. It's definitely Mm -hmm. a lot of nerves. I mean, I still get them. They never go away completely, I don't think. But nervousness can be tinged. I think there's a very fine line between fear and excitement. Mm -hmm. And and there's a lot of overlap there. And so 
I find that my best performances, my best experiences are the like proper blend of those Mm. things. And that is sort of what I experienced when I stepped out onto that stage. Whether you're on screen or on stage, what's the thing you do to push past that feeling that holds 90% of the world back and, you know, makes the rest of the world say you're crazy for doing that. Like number one fear is public speaking. So like, what do you do to kind of tap in and, and push through that or, or I guess, temper that and make it more of a a propellant than something that stops you? Yeah. Well, I think at the end of the day, if you ask what that fear is really about, it's that people aren't going to like you and that you don't think you're good enough. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I think if we ask ourselves what that is, at least for me, that's, I I won't speak for everyone, but for me, that's where that comes from. Mm. So if I can change that from a selfish thing to how can I be of service to this production or this story or this director or this playwright or whatever, then I'm able to have a goal that Mm -hmm. isn't, what are they going to think of me? It's how can I actually serve this beautiful thing that I'm a part of? Yeah. Let me ask you a question on the flip side of that. And this is sooner than I expected to get into the practical side, but it's, it's something that I think about all the time, especially dealing with, with actors, you know, you have this idea of wanting to be of service, which I think is a beautiful thing. What can I bring to help this as a communal project come to life? But on the flip side of that, there's things that make you uniquely you there's things that you're bringing that are your vision or your personality uh, how do you go into a role or an audition or any kind of performance realm and try to get out of the mindset of like pretending to be what you think they want you to be or trying mm. to fit the part that you think that a casting director or a director is wanting to see? Hmm. Yeah, it's taken me a lot of years to get there. Yeah. And I'm still not perfect. I mean, even at the other stuff, right, where I say I'm trying to look at how to be of service, you know, yeah. I mean, there's still the other component right. that is there. So, but I think um, the times I have to look at my previous experiences yeah. and anytime I've tried to play that guessing game of what do I think they want me to be? It doesn't go well. It never goes well. I don't feel good about it because it feeds my insecurities. It certainly doesn't feel good to them because uh, they want me to come in knowing sort of who I am. Be malleable, of course, right? Be Mm -hmm. open to direction. But um, yeah, I, I, I have definitely had those experiences where I recall specifically trying to uh, fit what I thought a producer or a director wanted and it just being so radically uncomfortable and like not ever ending well, like you can ask, I I mean, at the end of the day, you, I think, especially in this world of self tapes that we're currently living in. um, And for anyone that's listening, that maybe doesn't know what that means. Right. So in prior to the pandemic, largely auditions were held in person and now it's pivoted mostly to you record these tapes from home. And I think with that, you don't have the ability to ask. So you have to pick, Mm. you have to just make a decision. You can say, I'm going to go big on this and go crazy and have a lot of fun. Or like, you know, I'm going to be the more contained part of myself, more modest, whatever you think, you know, and like, you do have to 
like it's still a guessing game, but you ultimately have to be decisive. You can't just kind of land somewhere in the middle. That's mm. not going to get you anywhere. So I always think like, yeah, how, how, what part of Sarah, like actually resonates with this piece, whether it is a silly commercial or, you know, a more dramatic role, like what, what, what actually resonates when I read this, what feels authentic to me and I, I do it. And like, we don't have the luxury of saying like, Hey, was that right? Like, Mm -hmm. is that cool? You just do it. And I think though, like, while that's very difficult, I think it's actually been a really helpful thing because Mm -hmm. it, it's just the way it has to be now. So like, yeah, now you go into, let's say you get a callback or a director session where they're there. You, you, you can still come with, again, your ideas or your conception of a character and then sure, they can come in with an adjustment, um, but they called you, they picked you for a reason. And I think yeah. that's what it comes down to. Like, you have to understand, yeah, maybe it's just your headshot, but that that headshot is you, right? Or maybe it's something from your real, that is you. So they picked you already for a reason. So the more that you can bring your own unique experience, authenticity, personality to something, the better chance you have. Mm. You, you mentioned the fear of what other people are going to think about you, which is something that all of us deal with to some level. But I think that um, you've done something, I mean, acting, I think to a lot of people is a terrifying thing. And then you've done something, I think more terrifying, which is you've really embraced social media and have shown (laughs) (laughs) the good, bad, and the ugly. And, uh, you know, fear of what people think is, is huge for everybody, but especially you know, someone who's in a very public profession, like acting, like to, to put an x-ray over that and to show the lost auditions or the things that are, you know, you, you posted, I think two or three days ago, you know, about losing, uh, losing a, a job that you'd had for a long time, you know, what pushed you to kind of just document your journey so openly and transparently with people? It's really interesting because I think this actually, for me, it ties into sobriety. Hmm. Um, I was a huge secret keeper and people pleaser and really kept a lot to myself, whether that's because I didn't think there was enough to go around and I was hoarding information Mm -hmm. um, and scared of the competition or, you know, like it started with using and drinking, but essentially like I that pattern of behavior was prevalent in a lot of areas of my life. And one of the things that I really had to learn to get sober was rigorous honesty. And it's so funny to me now because like I was the biggest liar, cheater. Like I was, I was, I mean, a lot of us are right. Kids steal answers to like, this is not, I'm not saying that we don't share this as humans, um, but it's a really beautiful thing now that people actually compliment me for my transparency and my honesty and my vulnerability, because I really wasn't always that way. And getting sober taught me that I actually don't, I personally don't have the luxury to secret keep or gatekeep or whatever you want to call it anymore. Um, because, uh, like for me, it piles up and eventually it will lead me to like drink again. So it's just sort of a side effect that I found my voice on social media in this way. And that my brand essentially is, um, 
being super transparent and sharing all of it. But I'll tell you something like it takes the fear away. Like, I mean, it's at first it's really, really scary. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's something that takes like fear is fed when you don't give, like, if you give voice to your fears and you actually talk about them, it starts to diminish the fear. Mm. So I've found the more that I'm able to share things, talk about um, the stuff that I'm actually going through, like this job loss, let's say, um, the more I'm opening myself to other people saying, hey, me too, or this is how mm. I dealt with it, or um, it's it's forming community. It makes you feel less alone. And like, you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't think there's anything to be had by keeping information to myself. Like I get a lot of joy out of actually helping people and hoping that my experiences can, you know, somehow, you know, make it so someone else might not have to go through some of them. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, did you, when you first started pivoting in this direction, did you feel like a liar, like, 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 Oh, I'm going to be this authentic, you know, or or was it something you didn't really think about in the beginning stages, but it kind of progressed in that direction. Like, cause there is that, you know, we identify these certain things, whether it's, you know, feeling like we're disingenuous about something or whatever it is. Like when we first start talking about, there's always that feeling of hypocrisy that creeps in. It stops us from posting that next thing or, or doing this pivot in our life, essentially, I almost said brand, but I mean, really it's our life. Um, was that something you really had to fight with each post in the beginning or was it kind of the switch of like, okay, let's bear it all, you know, here it is. I'm trying to remember exactly. So, you know, my social media journey has had a, it's been a journey. (laughs) That's for sure. You know, I, I think when I was hosting HQ trivia, I branded myself as this like funny, sexy performer. And like that worked for a really long time until it, didn't. I just felt very boxed in. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I've done a lot of work on myself. And as I was going through that work, I realized it just wasn't feeling as authentic. And therefore I wasn't really able to create anymore. I was just stumped. And so I wasn't during the pandemic, it sort of hit a I mean, I think with a lot of us, it, it doesn't feel that, you know, there, there was just so much going on in the world that, and also I was relapsing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a lot happening and I just took a giant break. I was mm-hmm. like, I can't, I'm not going to create, I'm going to focus on myself and I'm just going to take a step back. I'm not going to force anything anymore. And I hired a coach when I was after this break, I hired, I took time off and I didn't know I was going to hire a coach. I didn't know I was going to go about it, but I actually got hired to do a show, Hmm. um, during the pandemic, um, during this break and somebody recommended, I was basically, um, booking my own guests for the Mm -hmm. show. Um, and somebody recommended, I was reaching out to friends like, Hey, do you know anyone on this, in the social media world who, you know, would be a good guest for the show. And somebody recommended this woman, her name's Jordan Guyton. And she came on my show as a guest and I was so inspired. There was something about her energy that I don't know, just like touched me. I had no intention of ever hiring her as a coach. Mm -hmm. And we like virtually, she was open enough to, you know, have a chat with me over zoom after the show. And I found myself, I ended up hiring her and she really helped me talk. She just, she just like 
help me talk through, I guess, like what it was that I wanted to provide and who I wanted to show up as. And she was the person that really helped me realize that I had boxed myself in and that like, it's okay. Like that it's okay that we all evolve and like, you can, you can share where you're at now. And that's fine. I mean, it might be hard. And so that was one of the best things I could have done for myself because then I started creating more authentically with where I was at in the present. Right. So Mm -hmm. it didn't mean I couldn't be sexy or funny. It just meant like I was also able to show up in these other ways. And so I sort of like started creating content with that. And it was kind of all over the place. Like I didn't really have a niche or anything like that. I was just kind of experimenting. And then finally I was creating pretty consistently. And I was like, let me take a look at TikTok now that I'm posting all this stuff to Instagram. And I was overwhelmed at first by TikTok. I was like, I don't, I can't do this. And I, so I was like, you know what, what if you, again, just treat it like you're curious about it. It's an adventure. It doesn't need to be Mm -hmm. anything. And so I sort of just started, if you look back to my old, old TikToks, they have nothing to do with acting at all. They're just random, random things. And I sort of just like, yeah, I just experimented. And when I started seeing more engagement on certain posts, I'd be like, okay, what was it about that, that like Mm -hmm. resonated with people? And so if you look back at like my first couple of viral posts, they were all like one of them, one of them was just because I was so frustrated with the industry, right? I was so annoyed that I was being sent 10, 12 page film auditions to memorize, like that I was filming in my apartment, like had to be turned around in like 24 hours. Like, I'm like, what, what is this life that we're living? Like I'm acting with a computer screen. I can't even have a reader in my home right now because of COVID. So like, I was, I was just so frustrated at, cause I felt like I was auditioning more than ever, but I was not booking. And part of that was because they were able to see more auditions in this virtual world, but booking less. Right. So I took that frustration. I was like, guys, this is what it looks like to audition for a film right now. And it was sort of out of frustration that I showed like what it actually looks like. Cause I'm like, people don't understand what mm-hmm. we're doing behind the scenes. Like they yeah. think it's either like you're a starving artist or you're like, you know, in the big picture like in yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. And like, there's every, my friends, we're all somewhere in between. Yeah. You know, there, there's a journey that happens, of course, but right. we're all somewhere in between. And so I wanted to show the in-between yeah. and that's what started resonating with people. And you can't show the in-between if you're not like the in-between is my life. It was literally, I mean, it's what I'm living on a regular basis. It's the yeah. easiest thing to create because it's actually like, literally, I'm just showing what I'm doing every single day. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is what people want to see. And this is what I love to. I I just had no idea. I couldn't have predicted that that was what people wanted to see. And there go, this goes back to what you were asking, right? Cause you were like, Oh, what, how do you not do the game of like, uh, how do you, how do you go into it saying, Oh, I'm not going to guess what the director wants. It's the same thing here. Every time I've let myself just sort of, um, give myself permission to do whatever, right. And explore and um, not have to churn out a result or like, that's when I have the biggest success every single time. And that's what happened here. Like I, I, I couldn't have like in hindsight, it seems obvious, but like it took me year. I was creating content yeah. for years and it took me years to get here. 
Yeah. Well, it's the, it's the Gary V thing, right? It's like the document don't create kind of mentality. And, and mm-hmm. it is, it's, it's such a weird thing when you're like, cause I do, I mean, I still do this. Like I've been working and, you know, doing podcasting for the last like two and a half years and, and things will be working like literally, Oh, everything's working well. And then I'm so close to it that I don't see what people see. So I'm just like, Oh my God, what do I do? Do I need to pivot? Like, I don't know what to do. And it's just what you're already doing. Like, that's what people want to see. It's like with your, with your content, what's compelling about it is that, you know, for you, sometimes it's probably even hard to know, like, is this something interesting, you know, but there's, that's what people want to see is all those things. Like they don't see scripts show up in the mail and they don't see, you know, there's, there's literally writers on TikTok now that are like, here's how much I get in royalty checks. Like that they've probably been getting for years, but it's interesting for people to check that out and see how this other, what this other version of life looks like, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I, I got to ask you about this uh, because I mean, it's probably where a lot of people have seen you. Um, you ended up on Ellen in a very interesting way, um, which is um, with the shiny, hiney uh, infomercial. Um, tell me a little bit about that because you mentioned on the show, like that was a, that was a spot that you booked that you weren't particularly proud of. And then all of a sudden you're sitting on national TV um, with Ellen, which is like a dream spot for a lot of people to get to. Like, what was that process like uh, emotionally? Was that something that you were like, oh man, this is like a weird way to end up here. Um, Was it something you were excited about? It was an unexpected, like exciting moment. Like what was kind of that situation? How'd that go down? It was wild. Um, I you know, really push new actors and encourage people to submit for anything, like, Mm -hmm. listen, within reason. So like, I don't, I never would want someone to do something they're uncomfortable with. Right. Um, right. You should also know your worth, all of those things. Right. But in the beginning, especially, and honestly, I still submit for a lot of things these days, especially in the last couple of days, since I've been unemployed, I'm, my bar has gone down a little bit (laughs) and because you really truly don't know where something might lead. Like in my experience, I, again, can never predict where something's going to lead ever, ever. Even HQ was like, it was a, it was nothing when I latched onto it. Like it was truly, it was in beta. It had no name. Like it was, it was nothing. So this is a similar story. I sort of was submitting myself for jobs on one of the casting breakdown sites. And there was a job for an, a request for an actress for an infomercial. And I was like, Oh, that feels like, you know, something that's sort of like in the actor's requirement, like yeah, you must off, do yeah. an infomercial at some point, right. right. Law and order. Like, you know, um, so I submitted myself and it, gave it didn't it did list the name of the product but it was spelled incorrectly um so it said the shinny hinny and it said it was a personal cleaning product so you know nerd me would not have put it together that someone doesn't know how to spell properly yeah and i get to set essentially after being cast and find out that it's what you mentioned my shiny hiney and that it is in fact um a brush that cleans your butthole, which truthfully, I didn't even know existed until this happened. Well, it literally looks like a looks fake like a commercial. Toothbrush. Yeah. It it, looks, it, and it looks like a toothbrush for your butt. You don't um, want to get those mixed like, up at all. And it looks, no. And it looks like, 
a fake commercial. And so, you know, I shot this thing. I mean, I was resistant. I didn't, I got there and I was like, Ooh, no, I'm not doing this. And then, you know, if you go online, you can watch the full story of what sort of transpired, but um, essentially they talked me into it. I did it. It was like, no one's ever going to see it. It's whatever. And then six months later, the producer from the infomercial texts me a link to the Ellen show from that day. And like she and Kristen Bell are literally showing my infomercial um, and like, you know, talking smack about it. And so the next day, uh, the same thing happened. I mean, I wouldn't have known, but the producer sent me another link and it's her and Kate Hudson. And so finally, I'm like, as I always do, all right, how can I make the most of this opportunity? What, what can I do here? I, you know, you got to make, you got to create your own opportunities really in this industry so much. So I wrote on Ellen's Facebook wall and I was just like, you know, you guys might be making fun of me, but my butt's been cleaner than all of yours for months now or whatever I wrote. And yeah, sure enough, the next day I got a call from a producer over there. They're like, I, we don't know how this happened, but somehow we had, it's turned into shiny, honey week. We want to fly you out here. And yeah, I essentially went out. I will also say I was very, that was the first time I had attempted getting sober. So I was like very, mm-hmm. I life, it was just a lot. It was a lot. Like I was very emotional because I, it felt like one of those signs, like from the universe, like, oof, I'm going to get emotional, but like, mm. you're doing the right thing. Right. Like I, I, it was, I was maybe like two months in, um, and into my sobriety and that literally I'm going to be on the Ellen show. I'm flying across the country. And I was just, it just felt like one of those like experiences where I was given a sign from the universe, like you're, you're doing, Hmm. you're doing it. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, I was, I was a wreck. I was so nervous. I'd never done anything like that before. I was so nervous. I was like I said, emotional and I was exhausted because I had worked a bartending shift the night before it was all very last minute. So I think I was on like two hours of sleep and then like went right into the studio and did the thing. Um, and so, yeah, it was, and it was just all very overwhelming, but amazing um, an amazing experience. Um, yeah. 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 I was curious what the emotion was behind that because like, I, it was funny watching your interview and saying like, I told like five people that I was, (laughs) that I did this. And then like, I was curious what the response was like seeing it on like national TV as like, you know, cause I think for some people to be like, Oh no, Oh my God. Like there's this thing, <laughs> there's this thing that's now live. But like you said, you made the most out of a situation and, and just went with it. And I think that's, again, that's a, that's a really cool opportunity to happen like in a very unconventional way. Like I don't, I'm sure you envisioned yourself on the Ellen show at some point, but it's totally different, Not in that different way. format. Yeah. That's funny. Um, well, yeah. So I, I guess now like just pivoting kind of into the practical, like we've mentioned social and the documenting side of things. Um, but obviously like you mentioned the pandemic has affected so much of, you know, and I, one during the pandemic, everybody had to be home. So self-taping was a thing, but also, you know, it affected shoots. It affected probably how things will be done forever because it opened eyes to say like, oh, we don't need to have people come in. We don't need to do this here. We can we can have people do this from home. Um, 
how much has the industry pivoted due to COVID and how much of that do you think is going to stick around? Like, do you think there's going to be lasting impact as far as like how auditions are done? Like for actors that are just getting started, like, is it a whole new world? Like, how do you think it's going to affect like in a lasting way? I, in terms of, I mean, we can start with auditions. Like I, I don't see it going back anytime soon. I'll say that I, I had, I've had maybe three in-person auditions and I audition a lot. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I also think they're booking directly. There, there's less callbacks. People are booking directly from first tapes. That's happening, happening a lot too. I actually just talked to a friend of mine, um, who got booked for the lead of a lifetime movie and mm. it was from his first tape. That's it. They didn't do a chemistry read with the other lead. Like, and this is, I heard this from my agent that this is more and more common mm. and that's why. And I, so I hope if that any actors are listening, if you're feeling like you're not getting the callbacks or the bookings that you used to a, it's a bigger pool of people. There's just more people. They can take people from anywhere in the world right now, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, so it's more competitive. Um, they can, and they can see more people because they're, they don't have to run out of room for an X number of time because they don't, and because they have to pay for the room. Like now they can sit in front of their computer, take all these tapes and and look through them. So I'm assuming that they can watch more tapes. Um, and then they're booking straight from tapes. So like, if you're used to getting callbacks, there aren't as many callbacks anymore and callbacks at least previously told you, you were like, it was like a sign of validation. You're like, yeah, okay. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm close. I didn't know cigar, but like I'm close. Um, and that's happening less. Um, I will also say I saw a really great, I think I'm going to do a TikTok about this too, but I saw someone talking about this the other day. Like I've gotten lazy. I've gotten so lazy because I'm overwhelmed with the number of tapes. I'm not putting in the work that I used to as an actor. Mm. I just, it's kind of, it feels like, what's the point? I'm like, they're going to know like from a, like so much of it is a look or whatever. So like, I'm not doing the scene study. I'm not breaking down. Like I'm not making the choices. Like, Mm. yeah, maybe I'm creating a moment before. Like I'm not, but like in half the time I'm, I'm not memorizing lines as much. I'm putting stuff into a prompter because I'm just like, it's a numbers game at the end of the day. Mm. That's what it feels like at this point. And like, I cannot be memorizing for some of these 10 pages, 10 pages, 10. I'm just, I just, I'm not doing it. Like, especially if they know from the first, like I'd rather a casting director send two pages where I can put in the work. Then, you know, from the, you know, from the first two pages, whether or not you're interested and then we can do more for a callback, but that's just not the way the things it's not working like that right now. Hmm. So I feel burnt out. Like, I think a lot of people are just getting lazy like Mm. we're just getting we're not doing the work that we used to or again i'll speak for me but i did see someone else speaking about this um so that's another thing in terms of auditions i think new actors oh gosh i mean i just wonder what that's really like because there's something about like while i there is a beautiful thing about the self-tapes and like part of me does love them like i Mm -hmm. love the ability to tape on my own schedule sort of right within, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a deadline, but like on my own schedule and not having to go somewhere, you know, you have to learn how many takes to do, right. Cause like in a room you would go in, you would do the thing, maybe get an adjustment, do it again. And you're done. Mm -hmm. Now you are, you can be a perfectionist if you want. Right. Mm -hmm. So you could do a take 20 times 
And like, then it's probably getting worse for me. I've learned my magic spot is like three takes. That's Mm -hmm. really, if I keep doing it after that, I'm choreographing it. I'm not, it's not authentic. And, but like, especially if you're newer, you like, I imagine like it takes me, it was taking me more time because I was just doing it over and over and over Mm -hmm. again, trying to get the perfect take. And that's not possible. So, and also just like, I, I just think new actors, like even classes aren't really, there's so many virtual classes yeah. and how much really can be done over, over, I don't know. I've been, <laughs> like I mentioned, lazy. I haven't really wanted to be in class since everything's been virtual. Yeah. I'm kind of like, what's the point? I need someone to vibe with me in person. I need a scene partner. I need a, you know, so, um, I just, it is different. Um, it's very different. Uh, and then like, I guess let's talk about sets. Now, I guess these days, you know, aside from the precautions that people are, you know, obviously you can, people can go online and read the regulations around, you know, let's say how food is prepared or doled Mm -hmm. out, right? Um, How, like there are some vaxxed set, you need to be fully vaxxed, some you don't, COVID testing, masks on set, every set is different. Um, So you don't know. You you also, I think it's weird because you don't know what you're walking into. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess that's always been a part of the industry, especially if you're doing non-union projects, there's no regulations. So like you could walk into something and it could be bare bones, granola bars, and they're going to work you for 12 hours. uh, Whereas, you know, a union regulate. So, but I think that's even more so because now it's like, okay, add in the fear on top, like add in like more ways to feel unsafe or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've, I've had sets where they didn't require COVID testing and I'm like, am I willing to do this? I had to do a kiss the other day, um, where we COVID tested, but like, do I trust that the other person really COVID tested? You know, people, you don't, no. you don't know. Yeah. There's a lot to, lot to think about. You wouldn't have thought about a couple of years ago. Um, just last question before moving into kind of the, the random round side of this um, for social side. I mean, obviously you built a pretty large following and people have gotten to know your brand, like your personality. And like, you've, you know, you've got a, a, a large group there. Are you seeing any correlation between like success on social media, virality on social media, um, you know, gaining a following there, transitioning into getting work and jobs. Cause I think there's, you know, there's people who do, I was interviewing someone who does makeup effects earlier. You know, I was talking about people that are doing these makeup effects on TikTok and spending hours crafting them. Um, do you feel like that helps with, you know, getting the attention of anybody who is hiring for these jobs or is it something that's kind of, it's, it's a parallel thing. Like it's another hustle to do on the side. It's both. Um, I mean, I can give a real life example. This actually happened before I had my, before I even had TikTok. But when I was hosting HQ, there was a big producer who would play. And, you know, he's told me this story since that sort of he loved my energy on the show, went back as a lot of people do these days. Like, where do you want to, what do you, where do you go when you want to know more about a person? You go to their social media or you Google yeah. them, right? And their social media pops up. So I think it can be sort of an assist there, right? So he came back at the time, I was still creating a lot of comedy sketches on Instagram. So he came back and he was like, oh my gosh, this girl is writing, shooting, doing these comedy sketches. Like I want to, I'm inspired. I want to work with her. And he ended up casting me in um, Dirty John, which Mm. was on Bravo. 
And actually he's like sort of even a mentor to me at this point. He was like helping me, working with me to get my pilot read and seen and stuff. So like that is a direct example, I think, right? Like saw me on something else, goes to check me out on social media. And I think though a lot of casting directors do do that these days, mm-hmm. right? You know, they they have to, not everyone, um, but your brand is important. You know, people mm-hmm. don't get jobs for reasons and they do get like, sometimes it doesn't make a difference, but if it's between two women that, you know, one has a million followers and one has a thousand, that 1 million is built in views on a film, right? That's built in marketing right there. Um, So I think my perspective on it is like, you can use it. You don't have to. I, again, have really come to believe that like, I got to use what tools are available to me. And these days, this is a real tool. Um, In terms of actually getting stuff from like, let's say my TikTok now that I have that, Um, I actually did have a casting director. So I was submitting myself for jobs maybe like two months ago, a month ago. And this casting director texts me and she said, Hey, I just sent you a request for this commercial audition. Um, But I wanted to actually just go out of my way to tell you, like the reason you're being brought in is because I follow you on TikTok Mm -hmm. and like it's working. So keep doing what you're doing. Um, and I think it adds credibility, right? If someone were going out of my channel and say, oh, this girl's a professional, like she actually knows what it's like to be on a set. She knows how to audition. Like it adds, I'm not just some, for me, at least I'm not just some TikTok rando who's like out there making dance videos, nothing wrong with that. That's yeah. another brand. But like, for me, it, it adds to, I do hope that at one point someone's going to be like, do the search, right? Let's say I audition for some film and they happen to take an extra minute to go to their, so to look at the people they're considering socials. And they're like, you know what, either I want all these fans to be watching my movie. That feels like a plus or like she's, she feels like she knows what she's doing. And I really like her vibe. I want to work with her. Like, I do believe that will work as an asset in my favor. I just don't know when <laughs> yeah you you've been putting in the work at least at the very least it's a proof that like you didn't just pop up on the scene you know and start throwing yourself out it's like oh here's the track record you know of all these different things so yeah i think that's i think that's huge um i'm going to take the last few minutes here and ask you some questions i ask everybody that comes on the show um and so we'll try to we'll try to move through these but there's always a couple that <laughs> stump people along the way um First and foremost, uh, what do you think is the best decade of film history? Super easy. <laughs> it's not because I I'll be com- in the brand of honesty. Uh, I'm the worst with, I never watched stuff growing up. Hmm. Um, and I've been really bad about going back and like looking at classic stuff. Uh, so I don't even know if I have an answer for you. Like, I, I generally, like, I had to study film history when I was in college at NYU. So like, I, I do know some, but I, yeah, I was, I feel like I'm playing catch up as an adult. Mm. Like even like we didn't have cable growing up. So like, I didn't, I didn't watch the stuff that kids my age were watching. Um, I, I truly like, I'm, I'm not even going to make up an answer. I don't necessarily have an answer because like, I, I wish I were more educated on film history. Hmm. Uh, what, so on the flip side of that, like what inspires you in the acting realm? Like, do you have certain people that you have, or is it more working with different coaches and is it kind of more in that realm? Yeah. I also like, I watch a lot of, I make up for it now, so I'm not watching past stuff, but I'm watching 
I'm watching tons of stuff um, that's available now, mm. movies and streaming everything. So like I, I've definitely made up for it in recent years, but I haven't necessarily caught up on my history. And um, I mean, there's a ton, there's a lot of, there's always going to be bad stuff, but there's so much quality writing yeah. and acting and filmmaking these days. Like it's really, it's like, I mean, come on, can we talk about the fact that I haven't actually watched them yet, but like, the last two Stranger Things episodes were literally like full length features. Like, yeah. you know, like, I mean, it's just, yeah. every, it's the quality ha- has really changed. It's, it's incredible. Like some of the, I, I love HBO. Like I think what they make, mm-hmm. I mean, I love so many shows, but I think there's uh HBO. If you're listening, that's where I want my pilot to my show. To live. <laughs> right. um, but like, I, yeah, I think um, there's so much quality to be inspired by these days. Um, you had asked a pre-question about like who inspires you, right? Like Issa Rae, like created Insecure. She mm-hmm. shot that thing. Like it was on YouTube. It didn't look great. If I'm being completely honest, but like she turned it into this incredible series and she grew yeah. so much as an artist. And to me, that's so inspiring. Like she built something from the ground up that she believed in and hustled to get there. And literally like was amenable to like, and malleable enough as an artist to get receive feedback and Mm -hmm. get better. And like that to me, that's, that's what inspires me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, What of your work do you feel is the best representation of who you are as a creator? Is it something you've worked on? Is it the social side? Uh, What do you think best represents who you are as a creator? Yeah, I do think it's the social stuff, uh, which is so weird because I've never been asked that question. Mm. Um, but I, I think it's it's very difficult um, if you're still sort of like a if you haven't been given the meaty roles, let's say, or like the job of a lifetime or the role that really resonates with you. You know, I've really pieced together a bunch of different spots here and there. Um, I will say, like one role that I've played multiple times in different, like for different people, has been like the wacky, like. QVC host, uh, mm. like, like and with that, the purge and yeah, that. with the purge. And I've done a couple of commercial things that way too. And that really is a lot of fun for me. I think that really is a nice blend of my comedy background and hosting. And so I think that's really, really fun, but I, I do think like the social aspect allows me to have ownership over yeah, it just shows the fuller picture of who I am. I yeah. think if my series is to be made, you will see that there as well because it's based on a lot of my real life experiences. So I think anytime you're you're in the driver's seat, then it you know you have the capability of showing more sides of you. Right, right. I was kind of curious, um, but I I guess we'll have to wait and see. But I was I was going to say, what would be the ideal uh, role or expression of of what you'd want to put out there. So it would be just bringing a lot of yourself into it in, in that show. Yeah. I mean, the, I want to play the lead in this show that I've written and yes, it's a lot of, it's <laughs> to be a continued. lot of, yes. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Um, what is a, uh, what is a film or a TV show that uh, people would be surprised to know that you enjoy? <laughs> I watch a lot of trash. <laughs> Who doesn't? I 90 Day Fiance, okay. like, yeah, it's, you got to get into it. I watch a lot of trash. Um, you know, and it's very interesting because, and I know these are just meant to be the short questions, but um, I 
had a huge resentment against reality TV Hmm. for the longest time because it takes away, it took away jobs from other actors. But when the pandemic happened, I needed it. It really, really helped me through it. Like I Hmm. just was like, I need mindless television. I need to, this is what I need. And like, so since I've been sort of a reality TV convert, um, so like, I, yeah, I currently am enjoying Love Island. I also am watching a show right now. This is, it's so terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible, but I'm enjoying it, but I know it's terrible. Um, and, and the only reason it comes to mind is because that's literally what I'm currently watching. Um, I'm embarrassed. Outer Banks. Mm. <laughs> Do you know it? I don't. I'm going to Google it to see how embarrassed you should so- be bad it's so bad um but i'm enjoying it 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 feels like a version of reality tv and the fact that like you know what you're watching is garbage um it feels it's like a soap opera with teenage kids going on a train that's literally what it's about i see the vibes i've got like a little it's like riverdale (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's terrible but i'm enjoying it for what it is i think that sometimes i have to watch tv you have Mm -hmm. to you can look at it and be like this is what this is and it's filling this need for me you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you were given the green light to, uh, and and I guess we'll leave your pilot to the side, but if you were given the green light to make or remake any type of project, uh, what would you choose and why? The Outer Banks feature film adaptation, you know, maybe? No. Uh, <laughs> uh, God, what shows have I been watching that I love? Uh, make or remake? I've been watching so much television. Um, maybe I'd like to be one of the pop stars in like a girl's five Eva, but that's like still currently on television. Um, I'm, I'm drawn to dark comedies. Like that's my genre. Mm. Like I love the blend of like real life stuff that people are going through with the addition of relief that comedy brings to it because like, that's, that's life to me, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. not all laughs and it's not all drama. So I really, really like that combo. So I'm drawing a blank on like what I would necessarily like remake, but, um, I've literally been watching so much television and I can't think of it, but that's my genre. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, it's funny because, um, I, like, I was always like, I just don't watch TV. Like I watched growing up, I watched like Smallville, you know, and like watched, you know, a couple like big shows, um, Breaking Bad or like Walking Dead for the first like three seasons. And then, yeah. you know, um, but it was, it just always for me, it was like such a time commitment. And I was like, no show keeps the momentum going long enough. And then starting to watch like, Cause it is like, you get to like the last few seasons of Smallville and you're like, okay, let's wrap it up. You know, it's like, it's, it's good, but it's just continually going and then um there'd be a cut but then there were a couple of shows like breaking bad it's like you go five seasons you're like this is perfect all the way through and you go into the sopranos and like all these all these incredible series sex in the city you know <laughs> like all these mm. different shows that like keep this momentum going you know to them so i've really gotten into a lot of especially series like the limited series stuff you know like we just watched uh big little lies and you know all so these good. different really good shows um so yeah there's been a couple that have really really stood out um but yeah then you have your walking deads where you're like 13 seasons i don't know if i can commit to, to this um mm-hmm. 
last question here, and you've given a lot of really good practical kind of tactical advice throughout, um, but I ask everybody, what's the number one piece of advice you would give to an aspiring filmmaker who is listening to this right now? Um, yeah, I, I think it's probably echoing what I said, which is like, make your own opportunities, Mm. um, and don't stay open-minded. Um, I think when you, to anything, right? Like, I think the more you think, you know, where something's gonna go, um, or, you're not, uh, you don't want to go meet that person mm-hmm. to network or whatever it might be like you, I think, or you're scared to show up on social or make the movie that you want to make a short or what feature, whatever, like just do it. If you can yeah. like find the means and, and do it because in my experience, it's, it's truly, I cannot predict like my brain is this, is this capable of it thinks this much. Right. And in reality, I'm given like this Mm. much. So yeah, just, um, just, uh, stay open-minded, I guess would be it. Yeah. Love it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this and for, um, for sharing so much. And I know you're constantly sharing and, and, uh, all your experiences, but it was, it was really good to get to ask some of these questions. And I know it's going to be helpful for people who are listening. If people want to follow, uh, all of your uh, shenanigans in the world (laughs) of acting, uh, where are the best places to connect with you and, uh, get some behind the scenes, look at your career. I'm at Sarah Priebus across the board, TikTok, Insta, Twitter, um, S-A-R-A-H-P-R-I-B-I-S. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Film School Podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, don't forget to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode.